guys, this is Sam. And this is Corrine, and we are two OncDocs. This week's episode will be focusing on diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, and we're going to go over all the important details on this subtype of aggressive non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which also in many settings can be highly curable. Agreed. So to start us off, what are the presenting symptoms of diffuse large B-cell lymphoma? So like in other types of lymphomas, you can see the classic B symptoms, which can include weight loss, night sweats, fatigue, and fever. A patient may also note painless rapid enlargement of a lymph node. And remember for the rest of the episode that the definition of a bulky lymph node is anything more than 7.5 centimeters. And then if anyone has any of these suspicious symptoms, they'll ideally need to undergo an excisional lymph node biopsy because you can't do the full histologic grading on just a fine needle aspiration. Agreed. And that is something that I got asked about a lot in fellowship um, is making sure that you get the excisional lymph node biopsy. The FNA is not enough because you actually need the, uh, the full architecture of the lymph node in order to diagnose the type of lymphoma. So I think we hit that in the Hodgkin's lymphoma talk and also this one, and we'll probably do it again because that's a very important topic. So once we have that biopsy done, how do we classify diffuse large B cell lymphomas? So you need adequate immuno phenotyping to establish whether the lymphoma is of germinal cell or non-germinal cell origin, because those that are non-germinal cell have a worse prognosis. And this is determined based on three markers, which are CD10, BCL6, and MUM1. You don't really need to know which is which for the purpose of boards, but clinically, this will be important for prognostication. So if you have hemopath board and fellowship, they may be commenting on those three markers, and that will determine whether it's germinal cell or not. And the difference is the five-year overall survival for germinal cell is 76%, but it's only 34% for non-germinal cell historically. And again, we are making progress with new treatments coming out. Another point to note is that generally diffuse large B cell lymphomas will be CD20 positive, CD22 positive, CD45 positive, CD79 positive, and they will be CD3 negative. And there are many subtypes of diffuse large B cell, which they can test you on, which can coexist with other types of lymphomas. So some of these can be gray zone, double hit, double expressor, T cell rich, amongst others. Definitely. I never memorized, I think it's the Hans criteria of determining if it's GCB or non-GCB. Um, and I didn't, I don't think I missed any questions on the boards because of it, but it's definitely important to know that for clinical practice. And knowing those different subtypes is also extremely important. So what is double hit diffuse large B cell lymphoma? So double hit lymphomas have the MYC and the BCL2 or BCL6 rearrangement. Keyword is rearrangement. And this is detected by FISH or standard cytogenetics. And this phenotype of diffusion large B cell is very proliferative and drug resistant and is associated with a worse prognosis. And then rarely all three genes, the BCL2, MYC, and BCL6 are simultaneously rearranged in a phenotype term triple hit lymphoma. So remember that for these double and triple hit, the standard RCHOP is suboptimal. Definitely. And that's when we need to escalate their treatment plans. But before we talk about that, what are double expressors? So the difference is that double expressor lymphomas exhibit co-expression of MYC and BCL2 proteins. So the difference is co-expression rather than rearrangement. And these also have a poor prognosis, although the standard regimen is not as well established. Mm -hmm. And what about molecular markers for diffuse large B-cell lymphoma? So this is an evolving field. And I don't know that they will test us on this, but from good to bad molecular markers, we have EZB, 
BN2, N1, and MCD. Perfect. I feel like they'd ask that on the heme ITE, but maybe not be that hard or difficult on the boards. Um, so once we've confirmed diffuse large BSL lymphoma, what is the essential workup that we need to do to stage these patients and get them started on treatment? So we're going to do a PET scan. We're going to do basic labs, including labs for tumor lysis, like uric acid and electrolytes. We're also going to do hepatitis B testing to prepare for using rituximab. If anthracyclines are indicated, we're going to do an echo. And we need to calculate the IPI, which is the International Prognostic Index. And then those at high risk for CNS relapse will also be considered for a lumbar puncture with intrathecal methotrexate. And those patients include patients with the fusion B-cell of the testis, of the epidural space, of the breast, those that are double hit, those that are also HIV positive, those that are nasal origin or extranodal. And then finally, you also do a bone marrow biopsy if the pet does not confirm bone involvement in order to rule out stage four disease. Definitely. So you mentioned the International Prognostic Index or the IPI score. Can you go over the prognostic factors of that for us? Yes. So there's a mnemonic and it's APLES or apples. And the A is for age over 60. The P is for performance status or an ECOG greater than two. The L is for a elevated LDH, and the E is for external involvement. And finally, the S is for stage three or four. Awesome. So stage three or four is higher risk, um, but how are we staging all diffuse large B-cell lymphomas? Can we go through those? Yes. So like in other lymphomas, stage one is a single lymph node group. Stage two are multiple lymph nodes on the same side of the diaphragm. Stage three are multiple lymph nodes on both sides, and then stage four are external sites. So now that we've discussed our workup, how are we treating um, patients with limited disease, diffuse large B-cell lymphoma? So remember that limited disease is confined to one area and remember the cutoff for bulky being over 7.5 centimeters. So if you have non-bulky limited disease, so lymph nodes less than 7.5 centimeters, you can get away with just three cycles of RCHOP and then restage. And then if there is a complete or partial response, you can follow that by radiation in a dose of 30 to 36 grays. Um, if you have limited bulky disease, so the lymph node is over 7.5 centimeter, you need to go to the full six cycles of RCHOP plus the radiation. And then obviously, uh, if there is progressive disease after those three cycles, you'll need to repeat a lymph node biopsy. Perfect. And so what are our treatment options now for extensive stage diffuse large B-cell lymphoma? So if you're going to remember one answer choice for diffuse large B-cell, it's going to be RCHOP. And so six cycles is the gold standard for extensive disease. And you will repeat a PET at that two to four cycle mark. As I mentioned, those with bulky disease more than 7.5 centimeters also need radiation. And there is the option of a lesser dose of the CHOP regimen called mini CHOP for those over the age of 80. And then for those that do not respond, again, you're going to repeat a biopsy and those will be considered to be relapsed or refractory disease, depending on the timing. And you need to see if the patient is a transplant candidate or not to determine future options. Awesome. I work with a fabulous surgical oncologist and we joke together, when in doubt on your board questions for lymphoma, guess RTROP. Um, and I think that holds true in case you're stuck and you're looking at that question, you just can't pull from your memory bank, guess RTROP. Um, so what are the options for refractory diffuse large B-cell lymphoma? 
So the options for refractory disease, you have the RICE regimen or R-ICE, which is iphosphamide, carboplatin, and etoposide. You also have the R-DHAP, which is DHAP, which stands for dexamethasone, cytarabine, and platinum. Remember the R is always rituximab. And then you also have GDP, which is gemcitabine, dexamethasone, and platinum. And this will be followed by an autologous stem cell transplant. Or now there's a category one approval with uh, anti-CD19 CAR T therapy, which is axicaptagene. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that right, but definitely remember that CAR T is now in the forefront of refractory diffusion large B cell. And for non-transplant candidates, other considerations of treatment include polotuzumab, which is an antibody drug conjugate to CD79B, chemotherapy options like gemcitabine, oxaliplatin, and tafacitimab, which is an anti-CD19 monoclonal antibody. And then in the third-line setting and beyond, options include selenexor, which is an XPO1 inhibitor, loncastuximab, which is an antibody drug conjugate to CD19, and sometimes there is consideration for allogeneic stem cell transplant. I don't think that these later lines of therapy will be highly tested. However, they may ask you mechanism of action of some of these drugs. I agree. I, you definitely need to know the first line um, refractory chemo regimens. Again, think of those two to three cycles to test that biology, make sure that they're responsive, and then get them to an auto stem cell transplant. CAR T cell was a question on our board, so that is definitely fair game, and I think it's a high yield fair game for refractory disease. I agree. I don't think there's going to be third line questions, but you guys should know them just in case if you know they do throw on throw you a curveball. Um, so, who needs more intense treatment? I think we talked a little bit about this in the beginning of this episode. So a certain subset of patients will need dose-adjusted R-EPOC instead of R-CHOP, and the dose-adjusted R-EPOC stands for R-rituximab, E-etoposide, P-prednisone, O-vincristine, C-cyclophosphamide, and H-doxorubicin. And those patients that may need this more intense regimen include those with double or triple hit lymphomas, those with primary mediastinal lymphomas, those with gray zone lymphomas or those that are also HIV positive. And the boards definitely like to test on the subset of patients that need a more aggressive regimen. So lastly, for the patients who are cured from their diffuse large B lymphoma, what is our follow-up? How do we watch these patients after treatment? So generally the NCCN recommends a CT chest, abdomen, pelvis, no more than six months apart for two years. And then the imaging stops after two years. A PET is not recommended in the follow-up. And patients will also need to have history and physical as well as labs every three to six months for up to five years. Awesome. This was a great review, a lot of key information, high yield topics. So what are our takeaway points for diffuse large B cell lymphoma? So make sure you remember the definition for limited versus extensive stage. If they're limited disease and non-bulky, so 7.5 centimeters or less, you can get away with just three cycles of RCHOP. Everybody else will need six cycles of RCHOP, and those with bulky lymph nodes will also need radiation. Those with refractory or relapsed disease will need alternative second-line therapy with options which may include CAR-T, such as the AxiCab one, or more chemotherapy followed by an autologous stem cell transplant. And then remember which subtypes of diffusion B cell are more aggressive and will not respond to the standard RCHOP, and those include the double hit, the gray zone, primary mediastinal, those that are also HIV positive, they will need the intense dose-adjusted R-EPOC. 
Awesome. Thanks so much for this great review, high yield key points. So you guys need to listen to it again. And as always, thanks guys for listening. Good luck with studying for boards. We're getting closer and closer to the day. So stick to your studying schedule as best as you can. Please feel free to reach out to us with corrections, comments, or next topics you guys would like to hear on further episodes. You will have our Instagram and our Twitter, which is two.onc.docs. Have a good week, guys. See you next week. <laughs>